What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Come At Me, Bro. This is episode 49, the first of 2020. I am one of your hosts, Joey, joined alongside Drew. Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you as well, good sir. Tyler, unfortunately, is not able to be with us this evening. We are going to try to record on Monday, then things got shifted around, and here we are later in the week. Uh, Drew and I are here, and we're ready to play, though, just like some of these NFL playoff teams and not so much for some of the other ones. Yeah, it was uh, it was a heck of a weekend as far as that goes. So anything interesting? What any goals that you've come up with for 2020 that you want to share with the audience, Drew? Oh, man, I've got a ton of goals. Like I, I got this this awesome planner system that my, my boss at work actually uses that I'm using to, to track it all. But the, the biggest ones come down to I'm trying to get back into decent shape, which for me right now is getting below 200 pounds. Um, Cause I realized that my dad who's only an inch shorter than me weighs 40 pounds less than I do. Um, so that really gave me some motivation. And it's I'd all like that muscle, like, right? That muscle sure. starts weighing you up. Yeah. Yeah. Muscle. Right. And I'd like to be able to go up my stairs and not be out of breath. Um, and then I'm just going to try to be a little more active and being creative, like doing, get, getting back to the the daily podcast that I was doing, you know, the daily replay and and trying out some other fun things on my own just to, to get my juices flowing and, and really feel like I'm doing something with my time. Those are my, my biggest focuses. Uh, the, if, if you want me to follow that trend that everyone does, and I am following that trend, my word for 2020 is bold. Like I'm going, I'm going to do things that are maybe a little out of my comfort zone, but that I'll be happy that I did in the long run. I honestly have I? no idea that was even a thing. Oh people yeah, people come up with people, a word for the year. Mm-hmm. It's and it's kind of their your overarching theme or your driver or like like Christina's word last year I think was joy, and so like everything she was doing was all about like you know finding the joy in in life and finding the joy in the things that she does on a daily basis. And I'm trying to remember what her word is this year, but it's it's something else. Uh, authentic. Her word this year is authentic. Like oh, I like that one. Being being authentic in all the things that she does, and just and doing things because they're they're her and that she wants to do, not because they're what someone else or the world says to do. Oh, I really like authentic. That's a good yeah, one too. Yeah, it's a great word. Not Every that time she comes up with a bad one, word, but I really like authentic. It's very interesting. It's like she comes up with a word. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to use that one too. No, I'm not going to do that. That's your word. I won't take that from you. <laughs> She's really good at coming up with, with like great words and the story behind them. So, I like it. Well, I do not have a word. I came unprepared, apparently, with the word <laughs> game for 2020. Uh, I do have a few goals out there, though. I'm still kind of measuring them out. I want to make sure I set them well. Uh, one of the things I'm doing differently this year, instead of setting annual goals, I'm actually going to do monthly and quarterly goals. And I'm going to do the same thing for OTN on the staff side as well. Um, but personally, I've realized that throughout the year, my schedule changes so much season to season. And then depending if like one month is heavy with travel or tournaments, and it's just so hard to keep consistently throughout the year. So I'm going to take it on a month by month basis and say, this is what's coming this month. What am I able to do within that means? And then the same thing on a quarterly basis. This quarter, I'm going to end up traveling more. This quarter, I know I'm going to have to stay late at work more. What can I do without upsetting my goals? How can I adjust them per quarter and per month? So that's one of the new approaches I'm going to take this year. I think it's going to be really good, but we just have to wait to see since we're only about a week and a half in. Right. Yeah. Eight, eight whole days into 2020. The other thing I'm going to do, so just one more before we jump right into sports news, I'm going to try to read more as well, Drew. I don't know how you've been with reading the last couple of years, um, but one of the things I'm going to try to do this year is read more books. I'm looking at a few different angles. I, I've always done like some fantasy books here and there, so I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to throw in some business books as well as some faith-based books. So I'm going to try three different aspects, like the spiritual, the business side, as well as like the fun fantasy side and see if I can hit more books this year. So I'm going to aim for 30 books in 2020. Wow. 
do you do you do audible or audiobooks i don't i can't do audiobooks i don't know why it's so funny like as a podcaster i love listening to podcasts and i love listening to music but i cannot listen to people reading me a book to save my life <laughs> i just i can't do it so i i christina loves audible um and will a lot of times now have like the harry potter books playing because we've both read them so much I'm kind of like you, uh, especially if it's like a fantasy novel or something I have a hard time following. But I did do a, like, to go along with this planner, the guy who who made the planner, he wrote a, a book about goal setting, basically, and life planning. And listening to that, it was kind of like being at a business seminar. So I know he was reading me this this business book, but it was definitely more like just listening to someone give a class. Mm, so if you're looking at some of those professional books, that might be worth trying, you know. Maybe maybe find one that's on sale or free somewhere or something and see if if it's a different angle for you and that works for you. So maybe maybe it's not all the books that you read this year, but maybe some of those business focused books end up working better as an audiobook. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting idea because I've done like a few like kind of like online classes in a sense or audio classes to hear like different topics like that. So that could be something to look into. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a bit more podcasty that way. Exactly. Well, thank you, Drew. Uh, we'll consider this our playoff preparation here for 2024 OTN and you and I's personal lives. But for now, we do need to dive into NFL. The NFL has been crazy this season. I feel like my predictions have been so far off. I think I shot like 65 to 68% is what I ended up with on Pickums this year. Uh, far below my about 92 to 95 average of most years. Uh, usually I can bank on winning quite a bit of money with Pickums. This year I didn't even do them and I'm really glad I didn't. Um, as far as the money aspect goes, because I did very poorly. <laughs> as far as playoff goes, um, I ended up going one and three in playoff predictions for the wild card round. Uh, so my prediction, at least I'm consistent throughout the season, Drew. I've been absolutely terrible all season long, and that's not stopping with the playoffs. A uh, number of these games did go to overtime. There was a major injury involved in one of them as well, and so that does factor in. With that being said, at the end, I did go one and three. What was your record predictions for playoffs this weekend? I'm honestly trying to remember all of the predictions that I made. Um, I know I got the Buffalo Texans game wrong. I know I picked Buffalo in that one. Uh, I know that I got the Titans game correct. Uh, I think I got the Seahawks correct, and I think I missed because I picked the Saints. Uh, and that was a heartbreaker. So I think I went two and two. And it's better than me. So looking at the first one, the Bills Texans game that you mentioned. Heartbreaker for Bills fans. This one did go into overtime. 22-19 was the final in favor of the Texans. The overtime score was 19-19 at the end of full-time heading into overtime. This one, for me, is the story of Josh Allen just breaking down in the second half. He had a great first half. The Bills, in general, had a great first half. Josh Allen came out in the third quarter. He didn't look that bad in the second half, at the beginning of the second half, that is. But it seemed like once they got to the fourth quarter, I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was play calling. But the Bills just seemed to break down, especially on offense. Um, Allen was making passes he really shouldn't, or more or less he was trying to force passes that he shouldn't. He was scrambling more than he felt like he needed to. It just it seemed very rushed, and it felt like the nerves were starting to get to this quarterback. So I don't know how much of it was. I mean, obviously he broke down. I'm not going to dispute that at all. He he made some dumb decisions, and he clearly was overwhelmed by the moment. But his line like definitely broke down too. Like the Texans started getting to him with just their four man rush. And I think the play calling was bad. Like, I'm, I'm looking at some of the numbers here. He attempted 46 passes compared to Deshaun Watson attempting 25. Now, I'm not getting into, like, time of possession and everything, but Josh Allen should never be attempting 46 passes in a game, especially given the fact that they have, you know, Singletary, who's been a fantastic addition as a running back, and Frank Gore, who is a ground-and-pound kind of guy. And even Josh Allen can run. Um, they, they should be doing a lot more running 
than passing. So 46 attempts tells you that there were some bad decisions made, especially in a game that they were never more than one score behind. They weren't playing catch-up. They didn't need to be throwing at like this. Yeah, I mean, it got a little crazy there for a bit, too. And as far as carries go, I mean, the carries were not that high. We had 13 and 8, 13 from Singletary, 8 for Gore, and then Josh Allen put up 9 by himself with 92 yards, two of those with a 10.2 average. So Josh Allen did really well on the ground. Again, I think a big portion of that came in the first half and even in the third quarter. That fourth quarter just felt so sloppy. And you mentioned it, Drew, the line. I think the Houston Texans might have been pressuring the line a bit more. It could have been that play calling. But you have to look at the guy who's the signal caller behind the helm. Josh Allen, obviously a young guy. He doesn't have that playoff experience here yet. Now he's coming in here, getting more playoff experience, and he's out here just not making the best decisions. Again, some of that goes to the coach. Some of that goes to the line breaking down, but I think a lot of it has to be put on Josh Allen's shoulders. And if anything, I think this makes him grow as a better quarterback moving forward. The Bills have a tough schedule last year. Tyler will tell you that plenty times over. But now Josh Allen has more experience. I don't think the nerves get to him in the same way. Now he's going to be able to know what that experience is like, know what it's like to try to close out a game in the playoffs, and he'll be able to move forward on a bit more of a, I would say, a confident basis moving forward. Definitely, and I definitely think they're going to get a a, a home run hitter playmaker for him to work with. Like they, they did a good job getting Singletary and getting like a Cole Beasley and a John Brown, who are all great weapons, but they need a true number one something on offense for him to work with that will only make the rest of them better. You know, you give them an Amari Cooper, just as an example, who's just, you know, an elite level athlete, then suddenly, you know, John Brown's random deep threat is is huge. And Cole Beasley under the slot is always open. And and Singletary has more room to run because they're having to spread out to cover like Cooper and these other weapons. So I I think that's going to be one of their main goals is finding that that home run true number one receiver threat instead of having like a you know, a 1B or a, or a 2 that is like John Brown or, or Cole Beasley. Um, not like I said, not to, to take anything away from them, but th- th- that's the level that they're at. They're definitely like A tier, not S tier to go into uh, RPG standards, which I'm sure most people looking at this have no idea what that means. Right, but I'm completely there with you. I feel like the Bills have one of the better wide receiver cords that they've had in the last decade for the most part. Um, you can argue back quite a few years since they've had the number or the amount of talent that they do now. At the same point, it never hurts to have more wide receivers. They have some young ones coming up. I feel like improving the line never hurts any team, and Buffalo is one of those teams that could definitely do it, especially if you watch that fourth quarter of this playoff game. So improving the line for Josh Allen I think would be another good move. I really think synergy is just another thing. The synergy between him and his wide receiving core and his offensive line and his running back, with him being so young and the Bills... Uh, I don't want to say new to the winning lifestyle, but it's been a little while since they've been here and been on the winning side of the ball. Now that we're seeing them more in that style, I think it's going to take some time to get their flow down, perfect their craft. It seems like they've pretty much gotten there on defense. The offensive side still leaves some to be desired, though. So I think give Josh Allen another year, maybe a couple more years, give the wide receivers a bit of time to get to grow with him. You have some veteran wide receivers there. I'd like to see some of the young guys step up a bit more as well. But this Bills squad is good. Honestly, I picked the Bills here. Drew picked the Bills. I really think the Bills should have come out with the win here, but they just crumbled at the end. Unfortunately for them, the Texans do move on, so Houston's pretty happy about that one. Yep, and Houston will be going to play Kansas City in Kansas City and will hopefully get crushed. Hey, yo, we will see on that one. Titans, Patriots. I want to say all three of us picked the Titans. Tyler may have picked the Patriots, though. I think we all went Titans. I'm I'm willing to give Tyler that one there too. 
yeah, it's hard to go against Belichick. It always is. He's a brilliant coach. He he goes about some questionable methods at times, um, but you can't deny that he is a great play caller. Unfortunately for the Patriots, the second half of the season has been rough. They still ended up with a great record of 12-4, and but it was not enough to get them a victory over the Titans. Titans take this one 20-13. Uh, Drew, this game played out exactly how I thought it would. I thought the Patriots' offense would stall. I did not think they'd get the job done. I thought the Titans' defense was well enough to hold them. And I, the big key factor for me was Derrick Henry. Last week, I said it. I did not think the Patriots would be able to stop them all game. Uh, in fact, it was even worse than that. They couldn't stop him at all during the game. Uh, he just completely ran over them all day. I think he put up over 200 yards, if I remember correctly. Derrick Henry is killing it. I think he is going to be the player that moves the Titans through the playoffs. With that being said, he's got a very, very stout defense ahead of him in the Ravens next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did two, over 200 yards from scrimmage. It was like 180-some-odd rushing yards and then several passing yards. Um, he is he's a beast and he's just he's he's giant and he moves way faster than anybody his size should ever be able to do uh, a very common person that he gets compared to now or let me rephrase it somebody who gets compared to him a lot now is DK Metcalf with the Seahawks he's just this giant of a man who's as fast as a wide receiver because he's a, he's, you know, he's a wide receiver and it's like how, how can anybody move that fast and that's basically what Derrick Henry is like no no mound of muscle should be able to run with the speed and agility that he runs with. Ah, uh, this was did you get to did you actually watch this game? I did. I, I it was definitely my favorite game of the whole weekend, not just because of the result. Um I would have been disappointed if the Patriots had ended up winning, but just I was entertained from beginning to end. And you look at a game where the score was twenty to thirteen, and I mean at one point that score was fourteen to thirteen for a very long time, and you think that had to be a boring game. But it was a really good game. I was never bored. I was never checked out. I, I checked out of the Tennessee Vols bowl game. Um, and I'm a huge Vols fan, but I was I was never out of this game. It was just so much fun to watch. I mean, I think part of what drives that, though, Drew, is the fact that you wanted to see the Patriots lose and you have some connection to the Titans. And I feel like that was a big driving factor for everyone, not the connection to the Titans, but the fact that they want to see the Pats go down. They've seen Brady and Belichick win so many. They've heard New England fans over and over, year after year. This was the chance. The Titans were in there. They were holding them close. They looked like they could come out with a victory, potentially. And I think that's really what drove most people in this game. So I I loved that Mike Vrabel Belichicked Belichick. Um, That whole sequence in the fourth quarter with about six minutes left, and the Titans took... uh, um, a false start and a delay of game penalty to run more time off of the clock. And Belichick was getting so angry on the sideline, which was hilarious because he did this a few weeks ago in a game. Um, and it's a weird rule, but, but he, you know, Vrabel probably learned that from Belichick, uh, either by seeing him do it a few weeks ago, or maybe even before when he played for him, maybe he knew that was something that you could do. Uh, but it was it was hilarious, and I loved watching it happen because, yeah, it's like now you know how everyone else in the league feels when you pull this crap. And it was great, and that made me so happy. And I really hope they change that rule because that is very screwed up that you can do it in that sequence and and get a couple five-yard penalties and take like two more minutes off the clock. They need to look at some of these rules. The whole clock runoff thing I think is absolutely dumb. I think overtime rules are terrible in the NFL. The whole icing the kicker thing drives me crazy too. I feel like that's injuries waiting to happen. I just, uh, there are definitely some things I think the NFL could take a look at under a microscope. I do feel like icing the kicker is less common now than I remember it being when I was younger. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. I was going to say, I feel like it's all the time now. I feel like it's almost automatic. Hmm. 
but a maybe lot of people what, maybe so I just ignore it then. when it originally started i feel like it was what a decade ago when that stuff started sometime in my lifetime that i really remember it picking up yeah yeah i think it was like a decade or so ago and what it originally was was the kicker would kick the ball but right before he made like the snap and then he ran into the automatic contact they would tell the referee call a timeout right before and the other thing that goes into play now is now you're seeing it done way before so they're calling it like once the kicker's just lining up and then he still goes for the kick. Like the timing is very different on the icing thing. So I think it's less fact of an injury and the fact that people know it's coming. But at the same point, like ah, I just it seems so unnecessary to me. I guess it's a mind game and all of that. And I guess that makes sense, but it still annoys me. Not as much as overtime. Not as much as overtime. Some of it I think now is also we have seen a rise in people faking field goals and punts and such. And so I think some of it also is to make sure that it's actually happening. No, that makes sense. Okay, so we have the Texans moving on in the AFC, and we have the pa- or the Titans. Haha, <laughs> almost got you guys. The <laughs> the Titans moving on as well. That sets us up for Titans, Ravens, Texans, Chiefs. Uh, let's just jump into this quick. Ravens, Titans. Ravens come in with the first seed, fourteen and two is their record this season. Titans at nine and seven, just taking that victory over the Patriots by seven, putting them as the sixth seed. I take the Ravens in this one. I think the Titans put up a good match, but I think the Ravens have enough to stop Derrick Henry, and in doing so, they stop the Titans. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to pick the Ravens, but these are two pretty similar teams. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to equate athletes to athletes. You can probably com- equate Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry considering they're both Heisman Trophy winners from Alabama, but um but they're they're run-heavy teams who do some interesting things on offense and just grind you till the end. So I I think it should be a really good matchup or the Ravens are going to overwhelm the defense, and it's just going to be a blowout. I, I don't know. I think those are the two options there. I don't see the Titans blowing them out in any way, but it it, it would it it could very easily get away from them if if they're not able to contain Lamar Jackson, what very few people have done. Yeah, I don't. Did either one of these teams play each other, or did these teams play each other? I don't believe they played each other this year. No, they did both play the Patriots, obviously. The, the the Ravens just smoked the Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks like the spread currently in Vegas is Baltimore by nine. Yeah, I believe, especially in Baltimore. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. Like I said earlier, I think the big factor for the Titans is Derrick Henry. If a team's able to stop Derrick Henry, I think that really knocks the Titans down quite a few pegs on offense. And then I think it begins to tire the defense as well as the opposing offense is on more with them not being able to hold on to the ball with Henry on the opposite side. So I take the Ravens in this one. I think the Ravens win by a decent amount. I, I think it'll be two scores. Uh, it might only be 10 points. It might be a touchdown and a field goal, but I do see the Ravens coming out of this one pretty safely. Over to our other side, that lines us up for Texans Chiefs. The Chiefs come in with a 12-4 and record sitting in that second seed with the Texans. Now victory over the Bills at 10-6 and in the fourth seed. Uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one as well. Uh, I think the Chiefs and the Texans had quite a few good or one good game this year together. Uh, the Chiefs, I believe, lost in that one to the Texans. With that being said, Mahomes is back. The Chiefs look better. I think the Chiefs are ready for a playoff run. I don't know if it'll be very far, but I think it's far enough to take down the Texans. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's the Chiefs easy. Uh, their their offense, the way it is now, the, they don't have the defense to handle them. I know J.J. Watt is back, which is huge. But in the end, he's not going to be in that. He, he can't guard everybody on that team. And. Uh, yeah, I just I don't see their defense being able to do anything, and their offense isn't good enough to just score points at will against the the Chiefs, who have a decent defense. So I I, I think this is Chiefs easy pick. Like it's they're 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 ten point favorites 
in the books right now, I would still take that bet. Like that's how confident I am in that game and how that's going to go. You heard it here, guys. Ravens Chiefs were taking the one and two seed to move on from the AFC. I usually actually don't take the one and two seed both in the same season, but this one, it just it, these two teams feel so much more powerful than the Titans and Texans to me, uh, mainly because the Titans, I think they're a good team, but they're so one dimensional when it comes to the offensive side. The Texans on the other side, injuries have hit them a bit. They haven't looked quite as offensively potent as they did previously, and the defense is banged up, plus not with Clowney anymore, which I think is a huge factor for the Texans defensive side. So, yeah, I think Ravens Chiefs for both of us pretty cleanly. Yeah, definitely. Hopping over to the NFC, the first match over there with the Vikings and Saints. That one ended 26-20. to uh, I believe that was another overtime match, if I remember correctly, with the Vikings coming out on top. Uh, there was one of those stupid clock runoff things that happened during that game, which really aggravates me if you can't tell. Uh, I was pulling for the Saints in this one. I had a feeling. I always have a feeling when it's this matchup. Just because of the Minnesota miracle, I was like, the Vikings could win this one right at the end. Just watch it happen. Unfortunately, it did happen. I wanted to see Drew Brees continue to move on. I really think the Saints was the better team. But on that particular day, the Vikings did pull out the victory. They did a good job. They grinded hard for it. They pulled it out. Shutting the Saints down to 20 points is impressive for any team. And this is a Minnesota team where the defense was not the greatest this year. Uh, they definitely had many holes. They definitely give up more yardage than they wanted to. Uh, this one in particular, they were able to hold an elite quarterback, a pretty darn good running back in Kamara as well. And the Vikings came out 26-20 to 20 in this one. I think the Vikings are potent. I, I think they're going to have a tough time next round, though. Yeah, they're, they have underachieved this year. Um, it's hard to say that a team that went 10-6 and six in the regular season underachieved. Uh, but they very easily could have won their division, um, especially the way Green Bay has been this year. Uh, but they're just, yeah, like you said, they their defense hasn't been as good as it should have been. We saw some of that, you know, get step up and change in this matchup. Uh, they've had injuries on offense, Dalvin Cook being out, Adam Thielen being out. Like, that's that's hurt them a lot. Uh, and and seeing what some of what they could do in this game, you know, it, it shows that they definitely deserve to be where they are, and they could make some more noise. Uh, we, I, I'm not sure that they will, but they could. Um, and... Yeah, I oh, this was so disappointing. I'm with you. I, I really like Drew Brees, um, and probably partially because of Tilson. I like the Saints in general, but I love Kamara. He's from Tennessee. They have a great guy on their defense, Shy Tuttle, who's also a Tennessee player. He was undrafted, and now he's one of their starters. Like it's, I, I like the Saints a lot, and I don't know how much more Drew Brees has in him. And so this is just really disappointing to see this happen again. But it was they they made some mistakes. You know, there's some weird officiating stuff again and whatever, but. This game should have never went to overtime. The Saints should have been up by a couple touchdowns in this game, and they just made some some dumb choices on play calling. They they missed some opportunities. Drew Brees fumbled, and that never happens. Like, it's just a weird set of circumstances. Like you said, it's something about this matchup. It's something about the Vikings. And you think, you know, they need to do some voodoo to exercise whatever this de demon is that they have with them that they can't get past them. Just those last-minute victories. I mean, Cousins has done it multiple times. The Vikings have done it to the Saints now twice. It just, uh, it was not pretty. I really thought the Saints were going to win this one. I really wanted the Saints to win this one. I thought it would be close, but I did think the Saints would come out on top. Unfortunately, the Same. Vikings did move on for those of us who picked the Saints. On the other side, a lot of people picked the Seahawks. The Seahawks were heavily favored. I ended up picking the Eagles. I wanted the Eagles to come out. And honestly, I, a lot of people can doubt me, but I think the Eagles would have come out had Carson Wentz not, get, not got injured in the first quarter. They ended up having to put a backup in. And unfortunately for the backup, it just 
he was not Nick Foles, and it did not get done the way that Nick <laughs> Foles got it done in previous years. It was just so funny, Drew, like watching this after the Vikings victory over the Saints. I was like halfway through that game. I was like, watch the Vikings win this on the last minute. And then going to the Eagles game, Wentz goes down. I'm like, watch the Eagles do the same exact thing and come back and win with a backup quarterback. Uh, it did not happen this particular season, though. The Seahawks did pull the win out in Philadelphia. I thought it was a good game. I didn't think it was like the greatest game to watch. Uh, I think the Eagles being down their main quarterback was really the dagger, um, and it came a bit early on in the game. Uh, McCown tried to put them back in it. He fought pretty hard. The Eagles in general fought hard. They kept it close. This was a 17-9 victory in, in favor of the Seahawks. Uh, with that being said, I, I think it was close for the circumstances. I think if Wentz was in there, this game would have been even closer, and we possibly could have seen a third overtime. Yeah, I I did not enjoy this game at all. I thought it was fairly dull. Um and I'm honestly a little surprised, but that's why the Eagles are here is because their defense is still good. Despite all of the issues the offense has had, the defense is still really good. I mean, Fletcher Cox is a wall, um, as evidenced by the numbers like rushing and such in this game. Um, but I, I did not <laughs> enjoy this game, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I expected the Seahawks to be able to do more, and they, they've been a weird team this year too. Like sometimes... Russell Wilson and the team looks amazing on offense. And then there's this game where they put they didn't score uh, after the eight-minute mark of the third quarter. Like, the last time anybody scored was with two and a half left in the third quarter, which was a field goal by the Eagles. Like, nobody scored at all in the fourth quarter in this game. And that's crazy given the amount of talent that Russell Wilson and his team has. Um, and then the Eagles offense playing with all practice squad guys. Um, and this was interesting, actually, um, especially – if we consider if Carson Wentz had been able to stay in, and I, I agree with you, I think they could have won this game pretty, not easily, but it's not a stretch at all to think that they could have won if he'd been able to stay in the game. Um, but basically, him having all these practice squad guys, while obviously there's a bit of a talent gap, it kind of helped him get better because suddenly he was the guy on the field who knew the offense the best. You know, before you had guys like Deshaun Jackson and Nelson Aguilar who'd been around the offense for years and he, where he had missed some time, they knew the offense so much better. And that creates a weird dynamic when your quarterback is not your guy that you go to for knowledge of the offense. So having all these new receivers having to rely on the quarterback, it made for a great relationship that clearly was working for them in the last few weeks of the season. And I think would have worked for them in this game. And it's kind of similar, to the, the, the parallel that people were drawing was kind of similar to what happened with Josh Allen. You know, before... Uh, he wasn't the most knowledgeable offensive guy. Then they brought in all these new folks, you know, in the off season and suddenly he's the guy teaching them the offense and that's helping him learn it better. And it's building this connection with his weapon. So it's kind of the same thing. And I think that's going to get reflected going into next season um, where he's going to be the guy that they turn to, to understand the offense. And some of those younger guys are going to be the people they go with, or they're going to bring in new folks and get rid of like Nelson Aguilar, who drops more passes than he catches. Um, and Deshaun Jackson, who can't, keep his hamstrings healthy. Although I do hope they bring him back because he's still fun to watch. Um, <laughs> but one of my, my, despite not enjoying this game overall, one of my favorite things from the entire weekend happened in this game. And that was Josh McCown getting to play 40 years old, been in the league for like 15 years and has never played in a postseason game. He's been on teams in the postseason, but never gotten to play. So he finally got to play some significant action. And not only is that important because he's 40, and who knows if he'll ever get to do that again, but he was actually retired. He was retired and it was an analyst for ESPN at the beginning of the year. Um, and after a couple things happened, they called him and said, 
you know, basically, would you come mentor and be our backup? And I bet he's really glad that he did that because he finally got to play in the postseason. And, like, they were interviewing him afterwards, and he was getting emotional because he was just so happy that he got to be in it. He was really disappointed that he wasn't able to to bring them victory, but he, he did his best, and he didn't look bad. You know, you could obviously tell that he hadn't played a whole lot, um, especially with these young guys that he clearly didn't have the same rapport with that Carson Wentz did. But he, he tried his hardest, and you could tell it hurt him that he couldn't get them over the hump. But I love that he finally got to experience postseason football and, and be the guy on the field. And then coming back around to something from earlier, did you feel like the hit from Jadavian Clowney on Wentz was dirty? Obviously, it was a hit to the head, and that's bad, but it didn't look like he meant to do it. And he said he didn't mean to do it, and he apologized. But a lot of Eagles fans, who they're Philly fans, so they can only be so good anyway, but a lot of them felt like it was done on purpose. I mean, what I'll be honest. Think? I did not even know it was a head injury until after the second half. Um, <laughs> when I originally saw the replay, I thought he popped his elbow out of place. I thought he either broke his elbow or dislocated his elbow. So I had no idea it was a head injury until they reported on it in like the third quarter. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I I guess I didn't think the hit was that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah, so I 100% thought it was a dislocated elbow. I thought they were going to go pop it back into place and put him in in the second half, potentially, depending on the damage. Yeah, it did not end up being the case. McCown did play the game. Uh, at least he had some rapport with the practice squad since he's been the second quarterback, and there's been injuries that have plagued the Eagles' offense all year. Uh, as a backup team, like you said, with a lot of practice squad players, I think the Eagles did a valiant effort here. Uh, the fans could definitely grow up a bit, but as far as the Eagles themselves go in this game against the Seahawks, they did lose. It was a close one. The Seahawks move on to take on the Packers. But first, Vikings 49ers. Uh, these ones are tough for me, Drew. I'm not 100% sure who I'm picking out of either one of these. I have doubted the 49ers uh, for at least the majority of the season, let's say. I still think they're a little overrated. I still think Garoppolo is not that great. Uh, Kittle, I think everyone believes Kittle is great. He's shown it many, many times. The 49ers also have a solid defense, but they're facing a Viking squad that just took down the Saints and a Viking squad that has a lot of their injured players back. Thielen is back. Cook is back. This is a Viking squad that has a lot of potency on offense. Their defense did not look bad at all up against Kamara and Breeze. I think the Vikings could make some noise against the 49ers here. I think so too, and I'm I'm with you. I feel like the NFC matchups are a lot less clear-cut as to at least who should win than the AFC. Obviously, we don't know how the AFC teams are going to go, and it, we, we could be wrong, and it could be, you know, uh, four and six who, who move on, not one and two. But, yeah, these, these are two teams who I think are relatively similar they have pretty talented guys on offense in some positions, and they're they kind of play greater than some of their parts a lot of the time. Um, and then, yeah, two really good defenses. San Francisco's defense is really scary, and I think they can disrupt what the Vikings do on offense, and that's going to be the big difference maker, which is why I'm already leaning towards San Francisco, and they're going to be my pick for this game, just because their their defense has been scary, and they they. The defense and the offense feed off of each other more than any other team that I've seen in the NFL this year. You know, the you got Nick Bosa, basically Nick Bosa and George Kittle, like get their groups hyped up, and then they hype each other up when one of them does something amazing. The other one just goes nuts and spreads that energy to everyone. So I think it's only going to take one of them doing one thing, and it's just going to snowball. And and I think San Francisco is going to be able to handle it. I think it's going to still be close. But I don't think I don't think San Francisco is going to ever lose that momentum. I, I think it's always going to be like they're in control. It's going to be up to them to mess up 
for the Vikings to win this game. I think if both teams played their best game, the 49ers win. So I'll tell you what, I came into this pick thinking I'm going to go 49ers. I've doubted them for most of the year. I might as well give them the credit where it's due, but I'm going to go with the Vikings, Drew. I'm going to be different. I'm going to pick the Vikings, not only because I want to be different from you on this one, but I think now that the Vikings have their weapons back, now that they're starting to click, they just took down who I think was the best team in the whole NFC all year in the Saints, and they did that with a six-point victory. It could be the same over here. It could go to overtime. It could come right down to the wire. I think the 49ers have a great team. I just, I think Garoppolo can be forced into mistakes. If they can shut down Kittle, I think they can force Garoppolo into mistakes. That could be a big turnover here and there. And now with the Vikings having their weapons back, I think Cook can potentially kill some time off the clock. They can spread the field more with Diggs and Thielen. I just... I think the Vikings have the weapons they need to take down the 49ers. The 49ers have had some great games this season. They've also had some very close games. Now that we're in postseason, though, I'm going to hope that the 49ers have cooled off a little bit, uh, for this pick's sake at least. Um, But I'm going to think that they cooled down a bit. I'm going to think this is not the same 49ers team from the season. I think the hype is still going to be there, but I think the, the tiny, tiny bit of a margin that the Vikings can still pull out this win is there. I think Cook is going to force it open right through the hole. I think they're going to run for a victory here. So I will take the Vikings. I think this is going to be a very, very close match, possibly the closest all throughout the playoffs of the divisional round. But I want to take the Vikings in this one. I'm going to put my hope in the Vikings for this win. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a it's a seven-point favorite for the 49ers. And you basically, in, in football, you more or less get three points for being the home team. So they're, they're basically, it's a one-possession game is what they're calling it as. And I definitely believe that. I mean, the problem is people have doubted the 49ers all year. Even betting odds have doubted the 49ers, it feels like. Just no one is ready to believe in this team. And it might be one of those teams, Drew, we've seen it in years past where just the stars seem to align, where a team of, I don't want to call them misfits, but a team of not quite as talented stars throughout the full field. They don't have those huge big names. Obviously, Kittle's there. Garoppolo has some whiff behind his name, I guess you can say. Um, But this 49ers squad in general doesn't have that crazy star wide receiver. Doesn't have that all-star running back like Adrian Peterson of old. It doesn't have like the huge, huge name stars that pull all these crazy deals and contracts. It's just, it feels like a team. This is a team that has made their way there. And for that reason, I'd like to see them go with a victory. At the same point, I just, I think the Vikings have enough stars and now with them being healthy, I think the Vikings have the weapons to take them down. The 49ers very much this year remind me of like the Seahawks six years ago, you know, you had Russell Wilson, you, you, you had guys that turned in out to be big stars. Mm-hmm. But they were all on like rookie contracts, or were still trying to prove. You had Russell Wilson, you had Richard Sherman, and then you had uh, Javon Curse and Doug Baldwin, and and Lynch. Like Lynch would have been the biggest name that they had, and everyone else around them were these young guys who were just overachieving as far as everyone was concerned. And and that's they could very much turn into that next Seahawks team. But we've got to see it happen first. They they've got to to win these games that it looks like they should win but they just haven't convinced us yet. So they'll have to do that this weekend. January 11th through the 12th is the divisional round. One more matchup to go there, Drew. This one I think is going to be close as well. It's the Seahawks up against the Packers. I'll lead off by saying I'm going to take the Packers in this one. Both of these teams have been underwhelming in my opinion. I don't think the Packers truly have a 13-3 and record. Uh, they do, obviously, on paper, but I think a lot of those games could have easily been losses. Same goes for the Seahawks. A lot of their 11 wins were very tight. 
So I actually think both of these teams, no matter who wins, will lose to the Vikings or 49ers in the next round. I will take the Packers to edge out the Seahawks, especially a Seahawks team that barely made it past the Eagles practice squad. I really, again, don't know who to pick in this one. I mean, just to throw it out there, the Vegas number is four and a half for the Packers, which again, you get three for being the home team. So it's really a point and a half. Um, I'm tired of the Packers. So that's part of my motivation and not knowing who to pick here. Um, and I'm with you, their record at 13 and three. I have no idea how they ended up being the two seed. It just makes zero sense, but it, it's, that's how things turned out. And that's what I was saying. Like the Vikings very much should have won that division, but they didn't do what they needed to do. Um, and it's also crazy to me that the Seahawks lost their top three running backs on their roster all to season ending injuries in the last few weeks of the season. And they now signed you got their, Skittles they, back. You've got Skittles and you got their fourth string guy who are their two main backs. Um, so it, I think this is going to be an interesting game. They're both very different teams from who they've been in the last few years. I'm going to actually pick the Seahawks, partially to pick opposite you. But I I think that in a game where it just comes down to sheer willpower, I there, there's something about the Seahawks that I think that it, they're going to be able to end that for, for the Packers. You have spoken. I have spoken. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way so that is our divisional round picks we are both going ravens we are both going chiefs we're splitting the way on the vikings and 49ers as well as the seahawks and packers stay tuned to see how those predictions go and we'd love to hear yours as well hit us up on twitter and that is at camb podcast last but not least Drew, we do need to talk a little bit about some of the nfl coach firing hiring and opening that's being moved on right now um there's a few out there that we now have confirmed the Carolina Panthers, they have picked up Matt Ruley, the Baylor coach. Thoughts on this one? Um, I think it's a good hire. I think he's a great coach uh, with what he was able to do at Baylor, given the state of things there. Um, and he, it's definitely a radical change. A lot of people expected him to go somebody older with some experience. Uh, my only question mark with this one is they they gave him seven years and $60 million. That's a lot of money and a lot of time to commit. Um, but I'm sure part of that is you want to attract the best assistants and you want to attract the best free agents and having a guy that's going to be there for a while. Uh, that confidence is what helps you attract those big names. But it's it's an interesting move, but I like it. Uh, I, I think it's a good hire. Yeah, I'm questioning this one a bit, and the main reason is the length of the deal as well. But when you look at the Panthers organization, someone like Ron Rivera was there for a very long time. And that seems to be the way that organization drives. They want someone who's going to have a good relationship with the owner that's going to be there for a while for the players and fans. We saw that with Rivera. I think he wants Ruley, the Panthers owner that is, wants Ruley to come in and be that next Ron Rivera in a sense. I don't have any issues with Ruley. I don't know if his resume is quite the star stopper to earn a 60 to $7 million seven-year deal for me. Um, I feel like there are quite a few coaches out there. Again, nothing against Ruley. I haven't watched him enough personally. Uh, with that being said, I do like the fact the Carolina Panthers are willing to commit for a long term. I just don't know if this is the guy and only time will tell on that one. The other thing to keep in mind here is now we don't really know the future of Cam Newton. With Rivera out, with a new coach coming in, do we see Cam Newton staying here for the Panthers for a longer term? How did him and Ruley get along? What's that going to look like? What's the new wide receiver core going to look like? Because we've seen some great wide receivers go through there, and they've just kind of fallen apart. Like Kelvin Benjamin, he looked great in his first couple of years. Haven't seen anything of him. Funchess was another one that went through there. There's just been a number of star-studded Panthers wide receivers that have been really underwhelming, I guess, in their second and third seasons. Uh, on top of that, you do have McCaffrey there. Uh, he's about as good as they get as far as running backs. He almost carried his team on his back. Uh, those five wins are pretty much because of McCaffrey. So I'm curious to see how they build the team. 
if I'm the Panthers, if I'm really here, I think I look to build it more around McCaffrey. Maybe you look at a new t- a new quarterback. Maybe you try Cam Newton out for a while. I'm not quite sure what they do there. Is Cam a free agent? Do you know? No, I believe he has another year, but I think they can cut him without taking much of a cap hit. If I or it's like it's a very small cap hit if they cut him. Interesting. So, so that's part of that's part of the the conversation is like we're gonna we're gonna take some hit no matter what if we trade him obviously that changes that or if we keep him then you know then it's gonna be a bigger hit but they, they, they have a lot of options and that's why there's so much uncertainty. I don't think the Panthers are in a bad spot as a team. I feel like they have a good amount of talent. They have a good amount of cap space available. I think hiring someone for the long term could be the answer for that organization. It's worked in the past. Uh, I think it could work again. It's just, for me, Ruley is just one of those people who has not quite shown that he is up to the task just yet. And part of the reason is just because from going from college to the NFL is such a big change. I'm curious to see how he does in his first season and what quarterback he goes with. Your boys, the Dallas Cowboys, that beautiful 8-8 eight and eight record, uh, two infinity signs of a big tiebreaker there. They have a new coach. It's Mike McCarthy coming in from the Packers previously. Uh, he's at, he has a pretty good record. McCarthy is 125-77-1. and one. He also went to the playoffs in nine of his 13 seasons with Green Bay. A lot of people like McCarthy as a coach. Unfortunately for the Packers, his time there just got a bit stale. He wasn't pulling in the wins that they really wanted him to. The team was not as happy with him at the time. He did get ousted. Now he's going down to Dallas. He's going down to America's team, as some call it. Uh, this was Jerry Jones's guy, though. He interviewed like it was something like 10 to 12 coaches or something after Bill Parcells left a while ago before settling on Wade Phillips, if I remember correctly. Now he comes in here, McCarthy. It's only like one or two coaches that he ended up interviewing, I believe. Oh, yeah, it was just McCarthy and Marvin Lewis, like two two former head coaches, and that was it. Um, they they knew what they wanted, and and they basically confirmed it during that process. They, they wanted a guy who had coached in the NFL. Um, they wanted a guy who had, was a proven winner. Um, which I'm really glad they didn't go with Marvin Lewis, who never won a playoff game. Yeah, I was uh, just going to say that. <laughs> that like, doesn't great, you your took criteria. a team to the playoffs seven times, and you never won a game <laughs> in any of those seven times. Like, that's not what you want. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like this hire. Um, the, the problem a lot of people have with it is it's not splashy. You know, he's not an exciting coach. He's not Ed Orgeron, who every interview is just ridiculous. He's not Lincoln Riley, who has an offensive system that just lights up scoreboards. But he is a guy who is good at offense and had a good run in Green Bay um, and knows the game of football. And I, I think it's great. And he's already doing great things with his staff. I'm, I'm already really excited about the folks that he's hired onto his staff. He's got Mike Nolan as defensive coordinator, which is really funny. Um, Mike Nolan was the head coach of the 49ers back in like 06. And McCarthy was actually his offensive coordinator. So um, they kind of flip-flop now where McCarthy's the head coach and offensive guy. And he brings this guy on as his defensive coordinator. He was the uh, linebackers coach for um, New Orleans for the last few years. Um, but so he's done a lot of defensive things. And then he's got uh, John Fassel as a special teams coordinator. He's been at the Rams for the last seven years as their special teams coordinator. Um, and they have a great punter and a great kicker and a great returner. Before that, he was a special teams coordinator for a few years at the Raiders. Before that, he served under John Harbaugh as a special teams assistant. And Harbaugh is also one of those guys that's just really, really good at special teams. He went from special teams coordinator to head coach. So he's, he's got a guy who knows special teams, and the Cowboys really need the help with that after their kicking fiascos this year. Um, bringing on Jim Tomsula as the defensive line coach, who is also just incredibly brilliant. Um, 
he was a head coach of the Niners for one year on an interim basis and uh, just knows defensive line. Um, the only one that I'm questioning is they're not retaining Colombo, who was the offensive line coach the last couple of years, and they're bringing on Joe Philbin, who is a good offensive line coach, but you had a guy who had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL running, like one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Just surprised they didn't retain him. He was already under contract, but McCarthy's got to do what he thinks is best, so I get it. But I'm also glad that they're bringing back Kellen Moore as offensive coordinator. Um, he's only got two years of coaching experience, and he did some amazing things with the offense this year. Yeah, there were definitely some things that he did wrong. Um, some of their record is definitely on him. But McCarthy is a guy who has done this before with coordinators where he calls plays until he feels like the coordinator knows enough, and then he turns it over to them. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think he's going to mentor Kellen Moore and turn him into an amazing offensive mind and then let him run with it. And, and I'm very excited about that. Well, we will see. One team that will be judging that hire is division rival, the New York Giants, who have promoted Joe Judge, the wide receivers coach, to become their team's next head coach. Uh, Drew, if this is a New York move, I think this is about as New York as they get. This is a guy, he's a no-nonsense guy, is how he's described. He's not afraid to ruffle feathers. Uh, we saw it with Odell Beckham Jr., definitely. Um, and we've seen it before with other teams. He's coached under Nick Saban. He's coached under Patriots coach Bill Belichick. Uh, Joe Judge has been around. He's a guy who has a wealth of experience. He's worked with the best at the collegiate level and at the professional level. He knows his way around. I think this is a good move. Uh, I don't know if the New York Giants wide receiver core uh, has inspired me to think that they're going to get a ton of wins under this move, but I do like seeing a guy that has that no-nonsense mentality, that guy who's going to come in there, be a New Yorker, show them what they need to get done, just like we saw with Girardi and the Yankees. I'm going to correct you here. He was the wide receivers coach for the Patriots this year. but And this is what drove me nuts about all the headlines I saw of this. Oh, wait, really? Been, I thought he was the been, Giants. No, and he's been the special teams coordinator for the Patriots since 2015. He only, took, he only added oh. the wide receiver coach this year. So all these ESPN headlines are saying, oh, yeah, they hired the wide receivers coach for the Patriots. It's like, no, they hired the special teams coordinator from the Patriots. Yeah, I was thinking it's, he was it's, Giants it's all along. It's massive clickbait and it's driving me nuts. He's a special teams coordinator who happens to also be the wide receivers coach this year. Like, he's not a wide receivers coach. Oh, well, he did not do a very good job <laughs> with the Patriots wide receivers. Then again, he didn't really have much to work with either. Right, right. They kept trading them away, and it's like, here, use this guy instead. And he worked with what he had, and they kept getting hurt. Like, okay, that makes me a little bit more nervous with that. Uh, with this being the, said, you know, they, I think the Patriots did have one of the better special teams units the last couple of years. Oh, yeah, Jamie Collins, or not Jamie Collins, um, what's his name, Spencer, is that his last name? They have that guy who's been, like, the Pro Bowl special teams player for the last, like, eight years because he's just so good at it, and it's all because he's been developed. There is a guy on there on New England special teams that is just stupid good. Matthew Wilson Slater. Yeah, Matthew Slater, yeah. That's, 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 that's all he does is plays play special teams and he makes just plays all the time yeah if you ever get a chance just look up like read about him look at some of his highlights and like the positions he's played and stuff for them he's he's ridiculous he's he's the he's the nfl equivalent of utility player if if Taysom hill is an offensive utility player then slater is a defensive utility player interesting stuff so now with that being said uh, I'm a little more shaky. I was shaky with this pick overall at the beginning. I like the no-nonsense approach that's being described. 
I'm a little hesitant with a wide receiver coach or apparently a special teams coach coming in. Now even a bit more hesitant because I thought he was with the Giants and he was able to at least know the organization coming from New England and a New England organization that had a bit of a rougher year this year and he has his name on the wide receiver core now. Uh, I'm a little shaky with this move now. It's definitely an interesting move, but you know he's going to bring some of that Patriots way with him, which sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I, I like the no-nonsense approach. There's been too much nonsense at the Giants the last few years, and I know they've cut or traded away a lot of that, but something needs to be done now to reestablish the attitude, and and maybe this is the way to do it. I, 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 don't, I really don't know, and I think part of it's going to depend on what coordinators he hires. I think like the the rumor right now is that Jason Garrett is going to be the uh, the offensive coordinator. I think that's going to help him a lot because he's going to have a guy on his squad who who know who's been a head coach for ten years. I'm I'm not by any means calling Jason Garrett an amazing coach, but he was a good head coach. He has his limitations. I think offensive coordinator is a much better fit for him um, than head coach, but he knows how like what it takes to be a head coach and those challenges. And I, I think that's going to be a great hire to help him, but he's got to have to find someone to be tougher for the defense too. So I, I think his staff is going to define him a lot more these first couple of years. Whereas like with the Cowboys getting Mike McCarthy, McCarthy is his own person already. He doesn't have to prove anything. Uh, interesting little tidbit here actually from ESPN. So the path that he's taking is similar to Ravens coach, John Harbaugh who is apparently the Philadelphia Eagles special teams coach for nine years under Andy Reid. I did not realize that either. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of the reasons I don't fully doubt this pick is just because I respect John Harbaugh as a coach so much. But just because you follow the same path doesn't mean you're going to end up in the same right, place. Right, right, right. Just an interesting similarity out there. Um, John Harbaugh has obviously grown into one of the better coaches. I think he could potentially get a Super Bowl ring this year as well. Um, when it comes down to it, though, I think Joe Judge has a lot to prove. People are going to judge him until he does so. Uh, no pun intended. Maybe a little bit of a pun intended. Um, but I'm going to be curious to see how it works out. I love the no-nonsense approach, like I said many times. I think that fits really well in a city like New York, even like a Philadelphia. I want to see that come out. I want to see that be the driving factor. I want to see the Giants uh, maybe not get all the way up to their great time, but I would love to see Joe Judge um, at least do well with this team. And then when we don't have to dive into too much, but just staying in that division, the Redskins did hire Ron Rivera. I think we talked about that some too already. Right. So that became official. And I think there's a few different pieces to that. One, they obviously got rid of their coach midseason. I feel like the fill-in didn't do terrible, but not the greatest thing either. Uh, moving to a coach like Rivera pretty much says, hey, we're going to get an experienced coach here. We're going to give him some more decision-making. They got rid of Bruce Allen as well in the front office. So now Rivera, and, and at least according to rumors, they will not be hiring a GM prior to the draft. So Rivera, as well as the previous GM staff minus Allen, will be making those decisions for the draft. Uh, I think this is Snyder just putting a lot of, I don't want to say faith, but maybe Rivera asked for a high level of trust if he's going to come to D.C., this is Snyder's way of possibly giving that back to him. Uh, Rivera's been around for a number of years. Rivera has a very colorful resume. He's done very well with the Panthers, especially. Now he's coming here to D.C. This is a whole other monster. Uh, he has a couple former Panthers players there. Josh Norman, obviously, being one of the bigger ones, uh, who's not quite been at his prime the last couple of years, uh, maybe far from his prime, if even. Um, but this D.C. area, the D.C. front office in particular, needed some changes. I think Rivera's going to come in not only as a coach, but I think he's going to have a bit more say in the front office than we've seen previous coaches have, and I think that might be what the Redskins need. 
Okay, last but not least, before we wrap this up, then is the Cleveland Browns. So we don't really know what's going on over there. We know they are the next big team to potentially get a coach. Do you think there's anyone in particular that you see them hiring? Probably Josh McDaniels. I mean, I know he didn't have the greatest run um, as the head coach at... Did, has he been a head coach? Yeah, at uh, Denver. But um, I think they think they have the offensive firepower to work with his system. Um, and they want somebody who's worked under Belichick because Belichick is the greatest coach ever. Um, so I, I think that's who they're Bill leaning Parcells. to. Bill Parcells. Uh, he's, he's up there too, for sure. Um, so I, I think... I think that's who they're leaning towards. They're interviewing a lot of different people, and I think they have a lot of different choices. Um, I just, I, I don't know what they're gonna do there. That that team has some issues. I'm really, I, I realize he was only there for one year, and a lot of times it's unfair to fire a coach after one year. But just the attitude and the lack of discipline that was on that team with Kitchens as the coach, like they they had to make a change. I'm normally not for firing a coach after one year, but. It's never been more evident to me before that a coach needed to go. So I don't know who they're going to end up hiring, but I'm just glad that they're taking their time and doing every interview that they have scheduled before they make a decision, especially because uh, everyone else has hired their coach. So they don't have to be in a hurry now. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland needs a win, and we saw them get rid of Kitchens. I think it was the right move. I mean, the guy might not have have had enough time to show what he's worth being there one season. At the same point, when you have that star-studded of a roster on paper, you got to perform better than 6-10. and 10. Uh, John Dorsey also out as the Browns GM. Just to give you guys a quick heads up of who they've interviewed so far, they've interviewed the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator. That's Greg Roman. San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Saleh. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric, oh, I'm not going to pronounce that. Eric B. will call him. Uh, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian DeBall. And they are also looking at Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski and, as Drew said, New England Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, obviously, if they do decide to go the Minnesota route, Kevin is not going to be available to be signed until after playoffs. They have to finish uh, Minnesota's run in the playoff, however long that ends up being before they announce that. Uh, if they do end up going that path. But Drew, if you look at the wealth of talent here, I feel like they have quite a bit. I mean, San Francisco, obviously one of the better defenses this year. The Baltimore Ravens have been killing it on offense. Kansas City's look stellar. Uh, Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, I think is one of the weaker ones, but he has turned the squad quite a bit around. Uh, a lot of talent in this potential coaching pool, though. Definitely. And I, I, I don't think any of them are going to be quite the wrong choice, but they, they definitely need to make sure they find someone who is going to be able to take a lot of talented but different pieces and make them work together. And I think they're going to look for... That's one of the reasons I think they'll do Josh McDaniels, assuming he's willing to leave the Patriots uh, now that Brady's more or less said he's coming back. Um, is because you see the Patriots do it all the time where they pick up these misfit pieces that no one seems to want and then they turn into pro bowlers while they're there. And I think they're hoping for that kind of magic. But we will have to wait and see. Guys, this has been a little bit longer of an episode than usual, but I feel like it was a pretty good one. We dove head on into NFL playoffs. We hit the NFL coaching changes that are happening and some perspective ones to come. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback as well, though, guys. You can head on over to Twitter at CAMB Podcast. Let us know your thoughts. Who do you think the Browns will hire? What are your thoughts on the coaching hiring so far? What are your postseason predictions as well? Uh, on top of that, you can also email us CAMB Podcast at otnmedia.org. 
Last but far from least, if you want to support this show and what we do here at OTN, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash OTN. Give us some love. Give us, give us some support. Join the team as a patron. We'd love to see you on there. And also feel free to join the discussion. Discord.me forward slash OTN. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next week. This podcast is part of the Overtime Network. Get more at OvertimeNetwork.com.